Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon Show. Uh, we, uh, we've got a treat for you tonight. We've got uh, award-winning cocktail and drink writer, Robert Simonson. Robert, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. You know, I'll, I'll be better once I get through this, uh, this smoky margarita. So in sticking with the, um, I don't want to say the theme, but we're going to talk a lot about cocktail books. You've got several out there and your most recent release, uh, mezcal and tequila cocktails. I said, well, yeah. why, why wouldn't I? <laughs> right. <laughs> there it is. Probably got a picture. Yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah. So, uh, so for folks that may not have read your book and we'll probably get into a few of them, uh, some really cool stuff out there. You started with the old fashioned, you went to a proper drink, mm-hmm. um, what the three ingredient cocktail and yeah. the martini. And now we're on mezcal and tequila, but I, I'll yeah. pause for a second. So maybe if you want to share a little about yourself or some of our listeners that may, uh, may not have had a chance to uh, pick up a book yet. Sure. Um, I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist all my life. I used to write about uh, the theater, did that for about 15 years, got tired of that and decided I wanted to change pace. Um, I uh, was always interested in wine and spirits and cocktails, wrote about wine a little bit, but it was it was cocktails and spirits that really got me. Um, in 2006, I was invited down to an event in New Orleans called Tales of the Cocktail, which you guys have probably heard of. Yeah, sure. It's the biggest cocktail convention in the world. And uh, it was just starting, getting started back then. And um, I realized that these people uh, were very passionate. They were uh, very interesting characters. And um and that the uh, whole world of the cocktail uh, was uh, was roaring back after kind of being into the doldrums, not really getting a lot of uh, attention as it used to for a few decades there. But in the early aughts, you know, people were realizing this was a, a great American invention, the cocktail, and, then, and we should start drinking them and making them better. And I agreed. And I've been writing about them ever since. And. Lots of articles and a few books, as you've mentioned. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so I'm surprised that we don't have a book yet called The Sazerac, being that uh, your, uh, <laughs> your your segue right from. And I don't. Did the Sazerac company do they host Tales of the Cocktail? I can't imagine that they don't. And uh, I, I don't uh, know. Tales of the Cocktail has a lot of different spirit hosts, and okay. I believe uh, the Sazerac company, which puts out, as you know, many, many different bottles of whiskey and other things. I am sure that they have some money yeah. on Yeah, sure. So, so is there a Sazerac cocktail book in our future? Or, That's or probably- an interesting idea because, uh, so I, I mean, back in 2014, my first cocktail book was uh, this one, the old fashioned, mm-hmm. because I noticed that everybody was drinking old fashions again. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, nobody had ever written a book about the drink. And the drink is like 200 years old. Sure. So I decided to do it. And that kind of uh, that kind of sparked a whole genre of books. Um, after that, there have been books dedicated to the Negroni. There have been like three books dedicated to the Negroni at this point. There was a book dedicated to the Manhattan. I wrote one myself uh, about the Martini, although there have already there had been many books about the Martini before that. And uh, let's see. Uh, and so they're, they're like these single cocktail books, just a book about one drink. Mm-hmm. There was one about the Bloody Mary. But mm-hmm. you're right. Um, 
There hasn't been one about this Sazerac, and maybe there should be. Uh, I thought we had run out of drinks that, you know, were worthy of a whole book, but <laughs> Sazerac might might be deserving. Nice. Well, if you need the uh, if you need the spelling of my name for, for maybe, uh, you know, a forethought, just I'll, I'll get that to you. So you've got, so you've got it right. Uh, so so I want to I'm going to back up and we'll get into, you know, obviously the the mezcal and tequila cocktail book. But I, I want to back up and, and I'm noticing a little bit of a theme here. And, and unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to pick up the the most recent release. Again, the Mescal and cocktail, or I'm sorry, Mescal and tequila cocktail mm-hmm. book. But yeah. if I'm looking at, so I'm look, the old fashioned three ingredient and the martini. So right. you know, I'm, I'm looking at kind of the I'll call it the the classics or the staple cocktails mm-hmm. of of years past, right? So so you're like, hey, I'm mean, you're in New Orleans. You know, we've got this buzz going on about cocktails. I want to start somewhere. People are drinking old fashions today. And, and as a writer, right. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a writer. I'm, I'm not an expert at anything to be honest, but if I'm thinking about, you know, and, and you mentioned earlier that you were used to be a theater writer. That's right. And, I, and I'm thinking about the complex screenplays and the characters and, and different characters, right. Based on where it's at and what's happening. And you've got so much content and and details to work with from a writing perspective and then you go to an old-fashioned which i guess we could kind of drill that down to if you don't include the ice you've got a three ingredient cocktail and so what so so what's it like going from you know you probably are overwhelmed with content material to now you've got three ingredients that you're going to write about. I mean, is that a, is that a challenge? Was that a puzzle to kind of figure out how are you going to, you were going to expand and, and give the breadth of scope of, of what the old fashioned was, or what did that look like for you? Um, I see what you mean. Uh, but I didn't think it would be a challenge. I felt very confident about the idea of a book about the old fashioned, uh, because I mean, it obviously wasn't going to be, you know, a 500 page book, but you know, I thought we could, we could do 150. Um, the drink goes way back until the, like the late 1700s, early 1800s when it was called the whiskey cocktail and it went through, uh, various phases. Um, and so I felt there was enough history there. There was enough history to put down on the page to justify it. And let's be honest, you know, I mean, cocktail people, cocktail enthusiasts, they like history, but they don't want to read that much. So, um, they say you give them a good amount of history and then you get to the recipes and all my books with the exception of a proper drink, which is a completely narrative history, are half history. And then then the other half is just recipes. Mm -hmm. And so um, and as far as the recipes were concerned, I mean, there are some people who might joke like, well, what what, what, how many recipes are you going to put in a book about the old fashioned? There's only one. Right. (laughs) Um, But that's not really the case, is it? You know, I mean. You get Scotch old fashions and rum old fashions. You go to Wisconsin, you get a brandy old fashioned and all these bartenders were doing all these riffs on old fashioned. So I had no problem, you know, finding, you know, like 50 worthy recipes. The same was the case with the martini long history, lots of variations, plenty to fill that up. The three ingredient cocktail book I wrote because I was worried that all the people who were interested in cocktails and were getting into the cocktail revival were intimidated by all these drinks. Um, a lot of cocktail books have come out in the last 15 years and many of them, uh, by particular bars. And then of course they're going to run their own recipes. Sure. Mm-hmm. And these recipes have infusions and tinctures and syrups and homemade bitters. Mm-hmm. And that's great. 
You know, these people are very talented and they should do that. But um, I wanted to remind people that you didn't need to do all these things. You didn't need to be a rocket scientist to make a good cocktail at home. You can make a good Negroni. You can make a good Rob Roy. And quite frankly, these are the best drinks that were ever invented. They were invented 100 years ago, 120 years ago. They're still with us. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's like, you don't, you don't have to go to the, uh, what is it? The aviary? Is it again? I yeah, guess aviary it, I, I, I don't Chicago. know if it's, yeah, I don't know if it's shut down or I'm sure it's not shut down permanently. Uh, I don't know. They survived. Open, they will reopen. Yeah. And the one in New York shut down mm. permanently. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether that was a re- result of the pandemic or um, it just wasn't happening for them there. The, the um, two hour, yeah. t- the two hour and, and not negative, but it's like, you know, you go there and you order a cocktail and I mean, literally it could be 45 minutes before you get it. And not because it's that they're trying to pace your drinking, right? It's just right. everything that they're doing. It's like, no, no, yeah. we got to fly the paper plane across the bar and somebody's <laughs> got to catch it. And dip. <laughs> a lot of bells and whistles, a lot of bells and whistles. It's, it's an occasion bar to be sure. Sure. Yeah. Special occasion. Yeah. You, you got to, yeah, I, I, uh, I always say I, I have to pregame before I go somewhere like that, because usually when I'm, when I'm going somewhere like that, I'm thirsty and I want to drink. So uh, I, I got to be prepared when I go in there to sit down. Cause I know it's, gonna it's one of those a bars, a bartender once told me a certain kind of bar where you, when you go up to the bar, you order two drinks, <laughs> right. you, order your, you order your drink and you order a beer to drink while you're waiting for your drink. Oh, mm-hmm. this is, that's a solid tip. Exactly. In, in, insider tip. Insider <laughs> good tip. strategy. So are you, uh, so in, into these cocktails, are, would you rather make your own or would you rather, uh, and we, we were chatting a little before we started recording, uh, I think you said last night was the first time you'd been out in 15 months, uh, maybe yes. to, to, to a bar, right? Drinking in person versus offsite. You know, that being said, are you, are you, I want to make my cocktail or I want somebody to make it for me? Well, it depends on your mood. Um, uh, very often I want to go out and have a professional bartender make my drink, but you also go to bars for other reasons. You want to be social. You want to talk with the bartender. You have that experience. Um, I make pretty good cocktails at home. I've been doing it for a long time and uh, they please my wife and that's all that really matters. (laughs) But I do believe that professional bartenders, they have a certain something extra, a little magic, a little pixie dust. And they always like make the drink taste a little better. And you don't know why, but you know, it's just because they do it for a living. So you still want to go out. Yeah, I did go out last night and I have been to bars before that because things are slowly but surely opening here. But that was the first industry event. And you you guys know industry events. You you go to some bar and you do a tasting and there there's some cocktails on offer. Maybe somebody speaks, maybe somebody doesn't. And sure. you, you learn something. So that was the first one I accepted. It was at a new uh, a new agave bar uh, in in the East Village of New York. It's called Eteria. Mm. And it actually just opened a week ago, which is hard to believe. But, yeah, we've gotten to the phase where now new bars are opening again. I mean, think about how crazy that is, right? Just in where we are. And you're talking about a new bar opening up and people are still trying to get their feet underneath. I mean, it's good to hear that things like that are happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of bars closed and those spaces are still there. So people are going to step in and open new bars and, uh um, I'm sure some of them will be exciting and fun. Uh, we had tequila drinks. It was a sponsored event. There's a new tequila on the market called Donata. 
uh, which I, I think it's only three months old. Um, hmm. If you've been watching uh, the market, you probably know that there seems to be a new tequila and mezcal <laughs> on the market every single week. Yeah. It, is a, it is a very hot category. Mm-hmm. So was that your inspiration for mezcal and tequila cocktails that kind of led you to, and cause you know, I would say in the, again, I mentioned earlier, you, I, I could kind of make some theme out of, you know, kind of where you're going in your cocktail books. Uh-huh. And then, and then you went, so we went with drink specific and now we've gone to spirit specific. That's so right. w- w- was that part of the, what's happening in the industry? Is that what led you there? Or is it just kind of haphazard that it's blowing up and you wanted to go that route? anyway yeah you're right this is the first one that i've written that is spirit specific as opposed to cocktail specific that's different for me but in a way it's i follow the same um path that i usually do with most of my books um i'm at bars a lot i'm talking to bartenders i'm doing the reporter shit you know and so (laughs) you look for stories and uh you look at what people are drinking i wrote the old-fashioned book because everyone was suddenly drinking old fashions and so like it's back you know let's let's put that out and i wrote this book because for the last 10 years, people have been drinking tequila and mezcal like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. And the difference is they're not just drinking it by itself. They're drinking it in cocktails. Mm -hmm. I mean, tequila has always been a kind of a, you know, a shot sort of drink. You know, you might have a margarita, might have a tequila sunrise, might have a Paloma, but uh, pretty much you're doing shots. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was tequila's role here in the United States and elsewhere. And mezcal was nowhere. Nobody really knew what it was. Uh, People were kind of afraid of it. It was a bottle that had a worm in it. What was that about? Um, But now the bartenders have educated us all and taught us, you know, how to drink these things and why they're special and why they're these artisanal spirits have been around a long time. And, and so everyone's all excited about it. So it's a kind of a new world. And uh, that's why I wrote it. I thought it was time for a collection of cocktails. Yeah, I, I've got to I got to get get a hold of the book and uh, and give it a read and, and check it out because uh, you can actually find plenty of mezcal bottles without a worm in them. Uh, yeah, no, now, now it's hard to find the one with the worm. In it. Exactly. It's all been stigmatized. We've made fun of the worm for 10 years now. They can't do the worm anymore. You know, it's like all the mezcal bottles that come out now are very serious. They got a back label with tons of information on it, sure. like where it was made, who made it, what kind of agave plants it was made from. It's like so much transparency. It's incredible. Yeah. Did you, uh, well, not off topic, but uh, one of my favorite places that I've tried traveled to, uh, was Oaxaca, Mexico. Yeah. And, and most people think, you know, Oh, you know, if you, you know, anybody in the States, you say Mexico, right. And you, you immediately get this in your mind's eye. You, I've got water slides and I've got, uh, <laughs> pina coladas and I got screaming kids and I've got buffets and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've got big gates around me, you know, and it's like, Oh, don't go outside because it's dangerous kind of thing. Yeah, and, sure. and then, and then you go to Oaxaca and it's like, holy shit, there's this metropolitan uh, or, or cosmopolitan city in the, you know, in the heart of Mexico that's just, uh, I mean, it, it, it's running over, the cup runneth over as far as uh, the, the eateries and just the, the food scene there food that's down happening. There too, yeah, yeah the, the cocktail scene. I mean, it's crazy. And it, you know, and you're like, wait a minute. I mean, hell, like the, the past five people that passed me, they were all speaking English. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 like you and I, right. So it's uh, maybe, di- maybe some different dialect or accents there, but you know, right. it, 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 speaking very fluent English. And, uh, I specifically went there a few years ago with, uh, with a friend of the show 
just to uh, go on a mezcal tasting. And, oh, good, good. and very, you know, it, it was kind of eye opening. We won't get into all the, you know, the, 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 uh, the mezcal itself, but, you know, very, very eye opening. And, and, and you've been, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it's so, and you, and have you done like Kentucky, the bourbon trail and all that stuff or some part of it? Absolutely. I, yeah, I've been to most of them, most of the big distilleries in right. uh, Kentucky. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that it's really crazy. You know, if you, if you just kind of take it in and you think about, the mezcal tasting experience and, mm-hmm. and it's all it's all about the juice right i mean but That's when you right. look at when you look at the surroundings and you think about what's happening in you know oaxaca versus what's happening in louisville kentucky and i would kind of consider both of those places somewhat rural areas mm-hmm. you know even though louisville's a city you know proper city etc but yeah. just the, just the complete difference from a social standpoint. Uh, and that's not the kind of show this is. I just thought that my, my social experience was very different in Oaxaca than it was in Louisville. I had an equally good time in both or yeah. do still when I go, but it's just a completely different aspect of, uh, and I don't know if you mentioned that at all in your book, kind of, you know, just about the, well, uh, I mentioned, um, uh, this whole agave revi- uh, revival here in the United States. I mean, it's created a whole subset of bartenders, who uh, are just crazy about agave spirits. They love mezcal and tequila and, um, and they're also crazy about Mexico and they go down there like four times a year and they meet all these mezcalaros that make the mezcal and, and they go to all the little towns and uh, they, they, they do, um, they hold it very close to their heart. It means a lot to them so that when they come back, you know, and they, and they just preach the gospel of uh, agave spirits, you know, they really mean it. They really, it's a, it's a passion for them. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. And, but I think I probably the same is true, you know, of bourbon, obviously bourbon has just an incredible following, but, um, uh, maybe, you know, just those two. I mean, people do like scotch, people do like brandy, people do like gin, but I don't know if they, they go off, you know, off their nut about it. You know, it's like, it's like their whole life, you know? So yeah, I don't know. Do you know gin nuts who just never talk about You're gin? Talking I, mean, to one. I, don't know I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I, I don't have, I don't have a bottle of vodka at the bar, but I got several bottles of gin. So, yeah, you know, no. yeah I mean, no, but you're right. I think for, for Cal, probably it goes bourbon and then, and maybe mezcal tequila then yeah. maybe gin yeah 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 i mean i love gin too i drink a lot of martinis a lot of gin drinks but uh i've been to a few gin distilleries i feel no burning need to go to all the gin distilleries right. and meet all the gin distillers you know and, no, you and then go the- home and like bore my friends and neighbors about gin but yeah. like, so uh, it's uh, i don't know who knows why certain uh, spirits it sparked that kind of, you know, enthusiasm and passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's that whole cultural, again, that the cultural aspect of it and to your point, right. I mean, you yeah. know, it's not, Ooh, you know, I mean, you, you can probably, you know, we can rattle off uh, the names of, you know, probably the top five gin distillers that are out there, but sure. doesn't really mean anything to us. And I don't know, you know, they're brand loyalists, I guess, but they're, you know, nobody's right. really talking, talking about it from that aspect. And, you know, it's like Mescal's one of those things. People are like, Oh, I don't drink tequila. And I'm like, well, okay, it's really not tequila. No, no. In, 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 a, in a sense, but you know, and it's like, oh no, I drink. I, all I drink is doers, and I'm like, well, you're missing out because this is a <laughs> great opportunity to expand your palate, and you're going to get a lot of uh, a, a lot of similarities in the profile and the setup of the you know the spirit itself. And it's like, oh, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, it's not peated, but it's definitely mm-hmm. smoky, and you're you're going to start to kind of find some of those similarities, which 
Um, I'm wondering, so what, what was your favorite cocktail? Uh, and that's, that's probably one of those that you can't ask me that that's like asking about my kids, but <laughs> so in, in the cocktail books, do you have, and maybe it's not a favorite, maybe it's a go-to is, is there a go-to in the, the, uh, in your cocktail books? It's like, Hey, this is the one, this was the backbone of where I started the book at and what I was going to feed off of. You mean the new book or any book? Well, we can talk about the new one, but I want to go to, to all of them. Okay. Well, with the new book, I mean, yeah, I know that question. PVO people always ask your favorite and they always say that thing, you know, you can't choose if they're yeah. like my children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought that was a Weasley answer. Yeah. I, I like they this. always have a favorite. They're just not going to tell you. Right. Um, so uh, spoken like a true New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, favorites in here. I mean, it's been out for about five weeks now and it's not necessarily my favorite, but I mean, drinks that I really like that I think will speak to people. Like if they don't know where to start, I tell them where to go. And, and, and those are like the one that you're having right now. Mezcal Margarita is a great place to start. If you don't really know Mezcal and you're a little worried or intimidated by it. Um, there's a drink called the Siesta, which I would recommend to everybody. It's sort of like a, it's a tequila version of a Hemingway daiquiri. Mm, if you know that nice. drink. Sure. Um, and then there's another one called Naked and Famous, which is like a mezcal version of a paper plane, which okay. is kind of like a bourbon sour with Aperol. Right. So those would be three good ones to make. I actually have a few drinks of my own in here. Uh, one I'm particularly proud of called the Cameroon, Ca Cameroon Cocktail. It's It has tequila, mezcal, orgeat, and lemon juice. Mm. So it's kind of a quasi sort of tiki-ish sour. Yeah. Oh, no. I... Uh, I know it's good because my wife keeps asking for it. Oh, there you would go. It be, could that yeah. be, would it be, it wouldn't be a swizzle. I mean, I know you got to swizzle it to swizzle, but I just, what you've kind of put in there. I mean, if you know, because it um, it's not served over the crushed ice, like swizzles okay. usually are, uh, you just shake it and you serve it up like in a martini glass or a coupe, you know, just simple like that. No garnish. Sure. Yeah. Just four ingredients. So something anybody can do. Nice. Yeah. So Did those you? are good. Um, like with the old fashioned book, I always recommend you just start with a standard old fashioned because, well, you know that for a long time, the old fashioned, um, it was um, the muddled version was the popular one that you would see all over the, the country and in all the bars where they, they squish up the orange and cherry and then they pour in some, uh, some whiskey, perhaps not the best whiskey in the world. And then a lot of crappy ice. And then maybe they put a little soda water on top. And a lot of people like that version and that's fine. But um, I always recommend people start with like the original version, which is much simpler, just bitters, a little water, a little sugar, um, a nice uh, couple ounces of bourbon or rye and, and a big on a big rock, you know, with a twist. Sure. Because that's the drink. That's the drink to me that explains why people liked old fashions in the per first place. Mm -hmm. It's just a nice, simple drink where the whiskey really shines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Good point. Yeah. And are you, uh, you probably mix it up, but are you, do you, if you had, if you're choosing, or is it, maybe it depends on the mood. Are you a bourbon or rye guy in your old fashioned? You're right. It depends on the mood and also depends on what I have on the shelf. Um, like if there's, if the bourbon I happen to have is better than the rye that I happen to have, I'll do the bourbon old fashioned, <laughs> you know I mean? I'm not going to do a rye one on principle just because I should do a rye old fashioned. If, sure. if all I have is, well, I'm not going to name a rye, but, um, 
Yeah, so, you can. We're that kind of show. Well, I mean, protect <laughs> your protect your reputation, not ours. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I like a certain amount of age on the sure. whiskey yeah. for an old fashioned. I, I want it to be at least four years old. If it's younger than that, then you get this kind of um, that cereal taste. You know, it's a little grainy. Grainy. Sure. And um, I want a little more uh, richness in the yeah. flavor, which I think makes a better old fashioned and a better Manhattan for that matter. Good are, are you a fan of uh, a rum old fashioned or does that start to get down the too sweet road for you? It can be too sweet, but if I'm in the right mood, uh, yeah, sure. I'll do a rum old fashioned. Often yeah. it depends on the company you keep. If, uh, if like I'm sitting with a guy or a bartender or whoever who really loves rum, you know, I'll, I'll do that. And he's drinking the rum old fashioned or the rum Manhattan, you know, I'll just drink with him. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention a name and it, it, the real McCoy. We, uh, we had, oh, had a chance. Stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a chance to chat with Bailey and, mm -hmm. uh, he shared some of their 12 year and pe pe people are probably cringing right now when they hear that I turn you know, that I put that in an old fashioned, nah, that's but, okay. but, but it, anyway, exactly. It's, it's our show at this point. Right. So, <laughs> that's right. uh, but it, it's, you know, and, and I wanted to do it. I actually do prefer the five year a little better than the 12, but I wanted to see how the 12 held up to, uh, because you can put a, a little less uh, sugar, simple syrup in there, That's and true. You, you can hit it with a little more bitters, and it kind of comes out. And you know, I, I like to kind of flirt around with the cocktails. And you know, I wouldn't say I'm a measure per se. I mean, I kind of know, you know, hey, it's this many parts and that many parts. Yeah, I and, it. <laughs> and then then kind of use it use it around, you know. So yeah, uh, that McCoy stuff's really good. Uh, I I met with them a couple years ago, and I. I'm very miserly with the bottles because I don't want them to like run out. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I've got some of the 12 years still. And uh, yeah, now you're making me thirsty for it. Maybe I'll make a rum old fashioned. <laughs> well, we can, we can always pause if you need to whip one up real quick. So. Yeah. <laughs> I always drink after these things. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta mm. Be careful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a good call on the rum and some of them get too sweet, but there's a lot of rum out there. Just like there is a lot of bourbon, a lot of mezcal and you can find the right one for the cocktail. You're you're, you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so what about, uh, in the martini book mm -hmm. and you know, I feel, so yeah, I asked the question earlier about, do you like to make your cocktail or do you like to have it made for you? And you know, I, I'm going to, in, in a, mar a martini in its most basic sense is, you know, could easily be spirit, yeah. ice shaken or stirred and poured in a glass. Would you, right. right? And, and garnished. And that could essentially be a martini. And I feel like I always screw up a martini. Now, I mean, this damn Mezcal margarita that I'm having right now, I, I wish I would have made more because it is so tasty. But mm -hmm. I always feel like I screw up a martini. And I don't know why. It just never tastes the same as it does for, for me. It never tastes the same as it does. I chill the glass. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I'm always a shaking guy and I prefer it shaking at the bar even, but okay. uh, yeah, I, I feel like I always uh, mess the martini up. Uh, maybe you're just being hard on yourself. People are kind of hard on themselves with martinis. Hmm. It's got such a reputation and this uh, cult of perfection that if you don't feel you actually did it perfectly, then you failed. Uh, so you, I mean, it's tough. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to see you do it to like give you any tips. Well, the one tip I give everybody is just make sure it's as cold as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. You're already chilling your glasses. So that's good. Yep. Um, you get put a lot of ice 
in that shaker. You say you shake it. So, so put a lot of ice in there and then give it a good long shake, you know, or a good long stir. If you stir, uh, cause uh, it, the colder martini is the better it tastes. Also, if, you know, if there are some flaws in the construction, the cold kind of hides those, mm. you know, yeah. um, do you do olives or a twist? I'm an olive guy. So I like it dirty. Right. So you put a little brine in there. So, yeah. I mean, obviously quality olives are going to help. Um, I don't know and what I, else, I, but you know, I, there, I it's no it crime to like, booth. yeah, it's no crime. If you, if you feel like your local bartender makes martinis better than just go get, get them from him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, what I do. I don't know why. But um, margarita is a lot more forgiving. You're right. Yeah, that lime juice covers up a lot of uh, covers up a lot of stuff. So yeah. But yeah. you know, that's the you know, the, and the other secret is uh, is the mezcal that just smoky mm-hmm. uh, earthiness that comes out of that thing. I mean, it's like I have a hard time drinking a margarita with tequila these days. No, yeah, no, a lot no. of people I should, do. I, I shouldn't say a hard time. I just don't. It just, I, you know, the tequila to me kind of gets it kind of gets lost in once you've had a mezcal margarita and yeah. you go back to a tequila margarita. Unless you're using, you know, a, 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 an añejo that's you know super, it got some real age on it that's kind of bringing out some oakiness or something in there. It just to me it gets lost, and I'm drinking a uh, you know a, a lime spritzer kind of <laughs> kind of thing, right? With, <laughs> with some with some salt. So no, I'm yeah, not dogging it. Just yeah, it, it gets lost to me. That's kind of a phenomenon these days, the past five years or so. Mezcal margarita is so popular. And I think uh, your case is similar to a lot of people's cases that once you go mezcal, it's hard to go back. Tequila is a fine spirit, but it doesn't quite have that um, aggressive flavor character that mm-hmm. magre- that mezcal has. It just that added punch to the yeah. drink. So probably the mezcal margarita is probably the worst thing that ever happened to tequila. Ooh. You know, it's like tequila saying, Hey man, that's my drink. What are you right. doing in there? That's a good yeah. point. That's a good take right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but sure. uh, people want what they want. And uh, sometimes they don't know what they want. You know, they want a mezcal margarita, but they don't know that. And so they, they often ask for a spicy margarita. That's the order that bartenders get. And then the bartender says, yeah, well, they want a mezcal margarita. So if you, or if you order a spicy margarita at a bar, yeah. um, if, if you're not, let's say I'm kind of just at the across the street bar and yeah. I ordered a spicy margarita, what do you think I'm getting? Are they putting some hot sauce or something in there? Or what do you, what do you think? Oh, so this is just like a regular kind of corner bar. That yeah, you walk yeah, in. yeah. Yeah. And you say a spicy margarita. Yeah. yeah they might be a little confused. Um, they're going to say, what do you want again? <laughs> yeah. They might put some hot sauce in there or, uh, Maybe they'd like muddle a, like a little bit of jalapeno pepper at the bottom and Ooh, shake it Yeah, that you, you give you a little heat there. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. I got a, is that in the book? Uh, what? Uh, like a jalapeno? Uh, like a... There are a few um, that have, I, I wanted to keep the recipe simple, but there are a few that have um, tequila that has been infused with jalapeno pepper. Mm. But that's a really easy infusion and you have to watch it carefully. You chop up the jalapeno, you put it in a bottle of tequila for like a half hour and then you strain it out and that's all the spice you need. Half an hour. 
Yeah, no, you'll notice the difference right away. Wow. And you don't want to put that jalapeno in there for too long because it becomes um, acrid and sharp and, uh, uh, it, and then it ruins everything. Probably turns like really vegetal, I guess. Right. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it, it's a very quick, I mean, even if you had guests over, you could make that infusion while they're waiting and, huh. you know, and bring it out. Wow. This is Paul Coughlin from Taconic Distillery, listening to Birdies and Bourbon. So when you so you go, you're, you're writing, you're, you're going with the mezcal and tequila cocktail book, and it's like, okay, here's where we're, here's what I'm gonna do. I mean, what's the book? Uh, I'm definitely down a rabbit hole here, so you can you can redirect me if you want. But what what does that look like from a process standpoint? I mean, you've at this point you've written four books, uh, you know, specific to the cocktail side, and it, I mean, what's how does that kind of lay out? If, if I don't even know if you can paraphrase in you know the the time that we have to talk. And mm-hmm. what does it look like making a, a cocktail book? And you're going to give a, uh, again, in my generic um, uh, mindset, I'm going to say, or simple mindset, I'm going to say a tutorial on, you know, the, the kind of the gist and spirit of the spirits that you're writing about. And then you're going to get into the recipes. W- what does that kind of process look like for you? Yeah, well, I've been through it a few times now, so um, it's a pretty – set process for me. Um, most of the books with the exception of a proper drink, a proper drink was the, uh, a history I wrote of the cocktail revival of the last 30 years. And that was the most work of any of them. I, I interviewed, uh, over 200 people in many different countries. And then you have to just transcribe those tapes and then you have to create a flow and a narrative and a story out of all these different perspectives. So, I mean, that was very heavy lifting. Uh, with the other ones, like I said, the first half is uh, the history. The second half is the recipes. I usually start with the history first because that's the hardest part in a way. Um, and uh, with things like the old fashioned and the martini, that means, uh, you know, going to the library and reading a lot of old books and going on newspaper databases and finding out everything you can find out about these old drinks. And hopefully you can find something new um, with, uh, I mean, the mezcal and tequila one, this is more uh, recent history. And, you know, the it all happened in the last 15 years as far as the cocktail revolution with the agave spirits. And so the sure. people are still alive. And actually, I didn't really have to interview many people at all for this book because I, I lived that whole period. And so I just talked about what I experienced firsthand. And that, that was refreshing in a way. Yeah. So once that's done, then you have to get the recipes. Um and that gets easier and easier because you know the bartenders and the bars and you know where to go. Uh, when I when I started writing the Mezcal book, I already knew half the recipes I wanted in the book because I'd already drunk those drinks. I thought they were great. Uh, some of them were like minor classics already. Um, and so I knew I wanted those. And then I just had to go find, you know, 30 more. And I knew where to go because I knew who the Gave uh, cocktail bartenders were, and I'm sure they had something up their sleeve. Um, so it's that process. The only way that I mean, I, I said the history is harder than the other part 
in, a, in its own way, the recipes are hard because there's a lot of nuts and bolts. You know, you just like this recipe and these measurements, and this is the way you make it. Sure. And you have there's so many mistakes you can make. You know, say a quarter of an ounce instead of a half an ounce. Um, list the wrong ingredient. Uh, say shake instead. Of, it's just like so. You just check and double check and triple check, and you still get things wrong. <laughs> so you just that, that's why it's called can. editing. Yes. Yeah, but it doesn't really. I mean. I, I'm lucky at 10 Speed Press, there are editors who know food and drink really well. So they can look at a cocktail recipe and sense if something's wrong, but they can't know everything. So like, for instance, I'll tell you, um, I mentioned a drink in here called the Naked and Famous, mm -hmm. which is uh, invented by a bartender named Joaquin Simo, a very talented guy who owns a bar here in town called Pouring Ribbons. So uh, this is a great drink and it's been around for 15 uh, years and I've drunk it many times and I've ordered it many times and I've even written about it many times. Here's a, here's a picture of it. Very pretty orange color. Oh, yeah. Sure. So it's got equal parts mezcal, aperol, uh, yellow chartreuse, and lime juice. And I say here that it has a garnish of a lime wedge. So um, two weeks after the book comes out, I have a drink with Joaquin Simo. And he just says, we're having a good time. We have some drinks. We talk. We're getting ready to say goodbye. And he said, one thing, you know, about that book, it's like Lime Wedge, really? And he says, like, that drink has never had a garnet, ever. <laughs> but you've and got the I picture thought, to prove it. You've got the picture. Years that it had a garnish. Wow. So you do what you can do, but that the mistakes get in. Mm. Yeah. It's not a terrible mistake. That drink is not going to be ruined because you put a lime wedge on it. That sure. drink is still good. But he's still. just saying he never garnished the drink. They never garnished the drink. Never. Yeah, and how crazy is that? I mean, I can't. I, I mean, I can probably come up with something, but I mean, that's. I mean, it's just kind of human. I don't human nature may not be the right way to say it, but it's just natural that what cocktail from a bar doesn't have a garnish. I yeah, mean, well, even, even if it's from a, the dump across the street, I mean, hell, they're right. still they're still going to put the stinky ass lime in there. Yeah, or the, or the neon red maraschino cherry. Exactly. Um, there are some bartenders. I mean, a lot of they go either way. You know, some people think garnishes complete the drink. It is a, an essential ingredient, and sure. others think no cocktails should be garnished. It's unnecessary. It also gets in the way between you and the drink. You know, and it, falls all over the place so people got their theories i like that it's good huh. yeah that's hmm. uh that's interesting so in 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 that sense or that vein and in, in kind of where you're going there um are there to be careful about how i ask this because it's the whole kid thing again um oh. it, it, are there are there repeat bars or bartenders in your books mm-hmm and and or are there a few that are kind of flagship for you where maybe, uh, you know, I, I want to put the um, I want to go for the Sazerac and I don't want to make the Sazerac. I want to go get it. So I'm going to go over here to I, I want to hit this bar to drink the Sazerac and kind of experience it. So I, I'm no you know, so I'm refamiliarizing myself with what I'm writing about. 
so I'm sorry. What are you asking? Like when I'm writing the book, uh, uh, what's your go-tos who, who you, who you go oh, for to, certain right? drinks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's tough because I know a lot of people who make uh, drinks very well. Sazerac's pretty much are going to go with something down in new Orleans because every bar in new Orleans makes a Sazerac. So most of the good ones are there. Um, they, they make a good Sazerac at the, at the Sazerac bar in the Roosevelt hotel in new Orleans. And, uh, if you've ever been to a restaurant down there called Galatoire's, which is a wonderful celebratory restaurant, they make great Sazerac's. They're all slightly different, but very few of them are bad. Um, martinis, uh, let's see here. Uh, there are all kinds of different martinis. If you go to like a craft cocktail bar, you're going to get something a little more sort of etched in stone, every detail seen to. And if you go to a classic steakhouse, you're just going to get like a big old bird bath full of gin or vodka, but they're both good in their own way. And, you know, probably at the steakhouse, you want the bird bath and you don't want the little fussy one. No, I, why, why order three when you can just give me one? <laughs> That's right. So um, there's, it's not open right now, but there's the grill in town, which used to be the four seasons and they serve a really great martini here in town. Mm-hmm. Is that Brooklyn uh, or uh, that's uh, Midtown Manhattan. Midtown, Midtown okay. Manhattan in the gotcha. in the Seagram's building off oh, Park yeah. Avenue. Uh, you mentioned Dante when we were talking earlier. They make a great martini. They also make a great Negroni. Negronis. They, they do what a lot of anybody ask for. Well. Yeah, they do a lot of things very well. Uh, for an old fashioned, uh, you know. Um, there was a, a bar owner uh, named Sasha Petrasky who founded a bar called Milk and Honey, which was very famous yeah, sure. in New York. Uh, yeah. He sadly passed away a couple years ago. Um, but he, be- before he did, he opened several bars. And he was all about the, the classic cocktails. He didn't care about inventing new drinks. He wanted to get the, the classics right. And if you go to any of his bars, which would include like Attaboy or Little Branch or Dutch Kills um, in L.A., there's the Varnish and you order an old fashioned. It is it's about as perfect an old fashioned as you're going to get. That's high praise. I mean, it's he does. There's it never fails. It never fails that he trained his people very well. And those people trained the people under them very well. And they all make the drinks the exact same way. So you never get a bad one. I don't remember what we had at Attaboy, Dan. Do you? Mm -hmm. I want to say that we probably had a Manhattan because any anytime we're in Manhattan, we, um, you know, it's definitely lame. Right. But it's uh, it's our cheesy personalities. And it's always (laughs) where can we find the perfect Manhattan, not the perfect Manhattan in the sense of, you know, making it a perfect cocktail. But where can we find the best Manhattan in man in Manhattan? So, so you, you guys are Manhattan people. You like uh, Manhattan. I love Manhattans. And so far, so Dan, you can, you, you, Dan may have his own opinion, but so far my best Manhattan in Manhattan has come from the antique garage. Mm, that's a good one. I haven't been there. That's a good one. Oh. What? The antique garage. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's, a, it's over. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's not Greenwich. What? East side. All right. I, I'm uh, gonna go. I'm gonna uh, go. Well, we love it, Manhattans. We love it, Manhattans. It may, it may be Soho, uh, but, okay. but East Side and Soho are kind of they bump up against each other, right? Or am I getting that mm-hmm. wrong? Yeah. Um, 
the the Lower East Side and Soho bump up against each other. Yeah. East Village a little bit, you know. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's right there, one of the two. And they've got, yeah, they got a big garage door that slides up. I mean, it's a small place, you know, but uh, yeah, but that is, that's my best so far. I don't know. Dan, do you have a best? Best man. And, <sighs> I don't. I don't. I want to hear his though. Oh, my. Well, um, we make a lot of Manhattans here um, at home. And so we're pretty damn good at it. Uh, so we don't tend to actually order them when we go out. Oh, um, okay. Let me think. Let me think. Manhattan's very forgiving drink in a way. I mean, obviously, one can be better than the other. But if you order it, if you're at a bar and you don't know the quality of the bar or the skill of the bartenders, they're not going to screw up a Manhattan too badly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like Agreed. get some whiskey, some sweet vermouth, some bitters and everything like that. Oh, geez. I'm racking my brain about uh, where would where would the best Manhattan? You be? can just I, give me the address and we'll try yours the next time we're there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically any of the my favorite bars, I'm sure are going to serve me a good Manhattan. I go to uh, in my in New York. I go to Dante. I go to Long Island Bar, Clover Club. Um, uh, they're all going to be good, uh, but I can't, you're right. I can't name the best. I I don't have a best for that one. Do you have a vermouth of choice? Uh, yeah. Um, it's kind of square. It's a very square choice, but I find Martini and Rossi makes an excellent Manhattan. Hmm. There you go. I mean, if you go to all the fancy liquor stores, they don't even carry it anymore. They have the Dolan or they have some uh, vermouth that you've never heard of from Spain or Italy or something. You know, they got the fancy. But um, I don't know. There's the Martini and Rossi. I mean, it's just some rich sweetness there that just like. I don't know. It tastes like Manhattan to me. It tastes like a Manhattan. Nice. Hey, do, you have works, a, do you have a vermouth? What's your favorite? Um, so typically I'm going uh, with uh, Co- Kochi. Kochi. Oh, yeah, that's Kochi. great. The, the Kochi. Um, yeah. Do you mean the, the vermouth de Torino? Yeah, 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 yeah uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent one, and uh, I will treat myself to that every now and then. A little more expensive than the others. Yeah, you know, I, I ruined myself, though, and, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, my partner <laughs> and I, she and I went to um, uh, went to Spain, uh-huh. and, you know, and it's like any any bar you walk into, they've got their own vermouth. And, and and you've got options, right? I mean, you go, yeah, I mean, you walk down the streets of Barcelona, you duck in a place and, you know, they're, they're barrel aging their own vermouth. And I'm like, holy shit, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's serious, there's serious about vermouth. I discovered a new, I'm sorry. Were you, no, no, go go ahead. Um, I discovered a new one recently. I, I, I mentioned, you know, the fancy liquor stores and the, the obscure vermouths and everything, but I did discover a really great one recently in my local liquor store called, uh, Bordega, and it is um, from Spain. How do you spell that? Um, well, I Ish. could uh, I could go get the bottle. As, um, you can. You can. Yeah. Oh wait, did I finish it? No, I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Here, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now. But it's from Spain, and it comes in a little skinny bottle. And for that skinny bottle, which is like half the size of a normal vermouth bottle, you pay twice mm-hmm. as much. Yeah. But yeah. It, it has a certain uh, elegance. It has this really elegant, refined quality that you put it in with any whiskey to make a Manhattan and 
I don't know. There's something very sophisticated about it. It's I don't know very- why you're doing this to me because I've got a feeling that I'm going to go to, I'm going to scour the liquor stores and I'm not going to be able to find this. And- I'm finding it. Hold on a second. Well, I mean, you got pretty good selection. Yeah, out we there, don't do. you? Yeah, we uh, do. No, no. Okay. Um, hold on. Uh, I, I wouldn't say, yeah, I think, uh, so I'm in Atlanta, Dan's in Raleigh and I wouldn't say that we, uh, have a huge selection of vermouth here. I mean, I, I would say it's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, with uh, everything that's freed up from the online ordering and stuff, you know, you can pretty much kind of, you know, you can reach out. Oh, I actually realized that I uh, am wrong. It, it was not from Spain. It was from Torino. Um, and I'm trying to find the name. You know, I may just have to email this to no, you. No, that's fine. Yeah, no worries. But it definitely yeah, begins yeah. with a B. Yeah, and it's like Bordega or something you said. Yeah, something like that. So, and they have a whole line. They have the dry. They have the blanc. I have not tried those, um, but you know, I'm always willing to give anything a try. And if you see something new and intriguing, you know, it's like, okay, let's try it once. Yeah, and then this one passed the test. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, what about uh, we talked a lot about old fashions. We talked about bourbons or ryes. Do you have a uh, a bourbon of choice? Kind of, do you have a go to like a daily drinker? Uh, sure. Sure. Um, I, it used to be more, uh, my choice because it was more affordable. I, I really like the, uh, Henry McKenna 10 year old, there you go. Oh, yeah. but then those bastards out in San Francisco declared it the best spirit <laughs> in the world. And then overnight it went from $35 a bottle to 70. If you could find it. Well, not only did it do that, mm. but they had to remove the 10 year age statement because they couldn't keep up with demand. And what they didn't realize was is that the 10 year age statement and everything that was pronounced on the bottle is part of the reason that everybody liked it. Mm. That's right. That's it's right. like, it's like, you, you just, you just kill what they didn't know was a marketing theme. Right. Cause I don't, all the stuff on the bottle and the way it's printed on there. I mean, those are like, that's, that's the state or the government. And it, this is not a political show. So don't anybody get offended or shut this off, but it, that's the state and the government requiring you to make statements of what you're producing and why you're producing it and where you're producing it. You go and make this and you know, the shit flies off the shelf. It gets now repurposed into secondary markets. And it's like what used to be, I don't know, give or take a $60 bottle. Uh, now either you can't find it or when you do find it, it's 150 plus, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, no, uh, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It used to be 35. I remember I bought mm-hmm. it all the time. Um, did they, is it still off? Because I just bought a bottle a week ago and it said 10 year old on it. Uh, so I don't know if that's new pour or old pour. Okay. Uh, and I think, I think it was a couple, what, two years ago, they announced it the, the best bourbon, right there. It, it won. Yeah. Uh, it was two years ago. Yeah. And then after that, you know, it was kind of flying off. So I don't know if they're, and again, now that may have been a marketing thing where they were like, Hey, we're going to remove it. They may have just slowed the uh, allocation out to storage. I I wonder what's going on with that because I was drinking it and then it tasted a little uh, thinner than it usually had Mm. in the past, a little younger. And I was thinking, what's, what's going on here? Hmm. It's like, of course, you know, it says 10 year old, but there could be older whiskey in there in the old days. And now maybe it's just 10. Um, So I generally like the heaven Hill line. I've always drunk a lot of Elijah Craig. Um, I love everything that Michter's puts out. Um, that's really good stuff. And I'm, I'm so grateful that they continue to send me bottles. <laughs> they don't have to anymore. Um, 
Uh, oh, there are a lot of good bourbons I like. Um, I'm here. I'm hearing a book in like in in the back of my mind. I'm hearing a new book, and it's called The Toasted Barrel. <laughs> Do you think the world needs another bourbon book? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I do, I do appreciate the fact uh, that good. you're, uh, that you're taking us down a road where, you know, not a lot of folks have traveled. Um, so, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I there mean, are, there are writers out there that do nothing but write about bourbon. This is like a whole profession, mm -hmm. you know, and like, you don't have that with other spirits. Not really. That's a good point. So, right. Well, are, yeah. So do we get a riff? Uh, do we get a spinoff of mezcal and tequila cocktails? And now we just get to uh, mezcal, and does it turn into uh, you know a proper drink uh, or, or a variation of? I don't know why. I know what my next book is, but I can't tell you right now. So that's good. It's that's not fine. that though. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking forward to it now. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay, can you tell us? This? Is it a cocktail book? Yeah, it's a cocktail book. Okay, a cocktail book. I'm a cocktail person. So holy shit! I, I mean, what a what a job. Yeah, exactly. What a job. Hey, so it's what do you? It's a good job. It's a good job. What uh, What do you think is the the next big trend? Oh yeah. Um, hmm. Well, we're we're seeing if uh, the pandemic actually created a, a lot of new trends. Um, we've got lots of you know uh, what what do they call it in marketing the, the ready to drink category mm -hmm. RTD. Mm -hmm. um, and that was languishing. You know, uh, bottled cocktails, canned cocktails. Uh, cocktail mixers, um, I mean, the Neo kind of like artisanal cocktail mixers. But now that's big, you know, and they're everywhere and everyone's jumping on that bandwagon. So I'll see, we'll see more of that. Um, people are into low ABV cocktails, so that'll probably continue. We're mm. in summer now, so the spritzes are coming back. Right. Uh, and, um, and of course, there is the uh, controversial category of the non-alcoholic cocktails, mm. uh, which are they're definitely having a moment. I mean, I would argue that they are not cocktails at all, but people <laughs> would argue with me. So, yeah. So, I mean, they, I have, I, I, I have a different term for them. I call them soft drinks. They're there you soft. go. There you go. <laughs> nice. Nice. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, I know we got to let you go, Robert. Uh, it's been a oh, this pleasure. This has been fun. Yeah, it's well, been fun. Uh, hold on. We can't let you go just yet because I know I led with no curveballs, even though I might have thrown you a few with, uh, you know, picking out some spots. But uh, what do you have? Can you give me? And it doesn't have to be one, but it, it could be a memorable moment. It could be this is not just one question. There's going to be a couple. Okay. But uh, but it, it's uh, is there a memorable moment? in your uh, cocktail and drink writing career where you interacted with someone, uh, I'm going to use the term in the industry, but it doesn't have to be in the industry, whatever happened. But w was there an interaction that, that left a, uh, that influenced or left a mark on you that, that you still think about on somewhat of a regular basis that, that continues to influence your writing career? Influence my writing career. Okay. Um, hmm. Gee, there have been so many memorable uh, occasions. Uh, well, we can go for another hour. I just got to make another drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Well, uh, gosh, I'm kind of stumped right now. Um, 
What about on the bourbon trail? Did you experience it or you could go mezcal, but is there anything that's like spirit specific that kind of stuck with you? And even when you're writing about uh, old fashions or you're writing about martinis or I'm, you're writing about mezcal and you're still thinking, hey, that one time that, you know, I was engaged with uh, this distiller or, you know, this person or this writer or what have you that they, you know, that, that thing kind of just lingers. And it's like, Hey, that's, it kind of, you know, kind of gives you that inspiration. Could maybe it was in theater if there was something yeah. that was there that kind of, you know, directed well, every you. now and I mean, especially, I mean, at the beginning you meet these old hands who have been at it for a long time. I remember one time I was going down to Louisville for some reason or other. And uh, usually I end up staying in Louisville, because that's where most of the events are. But I always try to go to a distillery. Uh, I, I sneak away during the day and I get to one. And on that particular day, I, I arranged to go to Wild Turkey because I hadn't been there yet. And uh, so drive out there and uh, and um, you don't know what you're going to expect. You're going you're gonna to get, you know, some some flunky to like take you around the distillery and show you everything. But it was Jimmy Russell, mm-hmm. who's like a legend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was him himself, you know, spending two or three hours take me around a distillery that he's seen a million times. You know, it probably couldn't be more boring to him. And then we just sit around and talk and we drink some whiskey. And I just thought, well, that's that's just about the most nicest, generous thing. And this guy obviously loves what he does and he knows more about it or he's forgotten more about it than anybody else. (laughs) Right. And there was another occasion like that early on where I was in London and I got to go to the Beefeater distillery and Beefeater is my favorite gin. Mm. And um, back then uh, the the chief distiller was a guy named Desmond Payne. And before he was there, he was at Plymouth gin. So he basically knew more about gin than anyone in the entire world. Very, um, very polite, uh, classic kind of English guy reserved. Um, not the kind who's going to crow about, you know, how, how smart he is, but it couldn't be nicer. And it was just kind of thrilling to be in his presence. Mm. Um, and as far as cocktails are concerned, I met uh, there's so many geniuses in the cocktail world. Uh, and every time I met one of them in the early years, when I was starting to write this thing, I was always just intimidated, really just intimidated by everybody. Um, but they're all really nice people. Um, uh, I mean, uh, probably the most famous bartender in the world is a guy named Dale DeGroff, who helped start the cocktail revolution in yeah. New York and the world. And you couldn't meet a nicer guy. I mean, he, he couldn't scare a fly. He's just, he just likes everybody, you know, and he likes his life and he likes to have a drink and a good meal. And, uh, I was, I remember being stunned or surprised that he would even talk to me, but he talks to everybody. So yeah. Um, Do you know, uh, you know, Alan Katz by chance? Uh, yeah. Getting, yeah. I'm, I'm no, getting, I know I'm you getting, interviewed him yeah, and I listened, topic, I listened but... to that podcast. So, yeah. yeah. So I know Alan Katz. I've known him a long time and he makes some great uh, rye whiskey and some great gin here in Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, just the gentleman's name that you mentioned that I, that uh, just uh, rung a bell there that we uh, we we chatted about him briefly on our show. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to get up and leave the story, but if I got up and pulled the bottle of gin out from the holster down there, it's uh, it is the beef eater red top. So, you know, can't, oh, is can't, it? Yeah. Can't, yeah. Can't resist no, it's, that. it's good stuff. Uh, they lowered the ABV recently in, uh, in the United States, which 
kind of made me mad, but it's still good gin. Where, um, where are you looking forward to traveling uh, next? Now that this stuff is starting to get back under control. No, oh, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm way behind in everything. Uh, in the United States, I would really like to go to San Francisco. There are a few great uh, cocktail cities in the in the U.S. New York's one of them, but San Francisco is definitely another. And I haven't been there in I don't know five or six years, so okay. a lot of catching up to do. Nice, nice, okay, cool. I mean, as far as the rest of the world, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, hopefully that can all happen <laughs> again soon. Get back sure. to London, Paris, Rome, all those places. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm going to leave you with this, this question. So you're inviting Dan and I over for dinner. I know, I know you're cringing. This is hypothetical. Uh, What are you serving us? What are we eating and what are we drinking? Well, first I'd ask you what you do or don't eat any uh, allergies or anything like that. I'll eat and drink anything, anything. As long as it's alcoholic. So no, no vegetarian, no vegan, no nothing. All right. Um, We're done. Hmm. I don't see. Uh, I like a lot of old fashioned food. Uh, I may, I may make you some Wiener schnitzel. Oh, nice. nice. I I actually make excellent Wiener schnitzel and with some special, I'm half German. So I got that going for me. Well, I hope we get kraut with it. (laughs) Yeah. And then as far as what you're drinking, yes, you'll get that. Or actually um, some nice uh, sauteed cabbage sauteed all day. Okay. Some bacon in there. Nice. Uh, I'd ask you what you wanted to drink mm. and then I'd make it for you. I'd pose it back and say what pairs well with uh Wiener schnitzel. Well, um, I believe uh, I'm a strong believer that, uh, with food, you're, you're talking about wine and or beer mm-hmm. and I drink cocktails before and after the meal mm-hmm. or cocktails. Yeah. So I would, I would probably, okay, you know, gotcha. if you, if you said, just make me something, I, I would make you an old fashioned. Perfect. Or no, actually, I make you Manhattan now that I know you love me. So. <laughs> and that's actually so much less hard. <laughs> but Manhattan is so easy. I mean, uh, with the old fashioned, there's a there's a little construction involved. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, point. good point. We're gonna need we're gonna need that address, and uh, we need to work on a date and a time. So <laughs> next time you come to New York, we will uh, we'll go to Attaboy, and we will Ooh. and we will have Manhattan's. Nice. Nice. That, that sounds awesome. Uh, Robert Simonson, it has been a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us and, uh, you know, wealth of knowledge. Uh, you want to know how to make cocktails? Go get one of Robert's books. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, he's got plenty of them out there. And um, uh, hell, even Dan can make one of these cocktails. That's true. So, That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> I'd say get the high book. Praise. Uh, That's high praise. Yeah, uh, yeah Robert, uh, you want to let people know where they can find you. Where can they find your books? Uh, you want uh, on their social and and it's uh, sure the the books are wherever fine books are sold. Uh, you can get them online. You can get them at your local independent bookstore. Always a good idea. Um, and I have, my website is robertsimonson.net. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter to Robert Simonson, Robert O. Simonson, actually. Nice. So Perfect. Robert, it has been a pleasure, sir. And this Mezcal Margarita, you have inspired have, me to yeah, start you drinking have to make another. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Cheers, sir. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.